0: Welcome, my friends, to the Bob and Brad Podcast. My name is Mike Keenitz, and today I am interviewing Dr. Avi Barr, who is a board-certified sleep medicine and pulmonary disease specialist, and we are talking about sleep apnea today, common causes and common solutions to fixing this problem. If you want to find out more information about him, you can go to his website, which is sleep.com. It is spelled dot com. So without further ado here is Dr. Avibar. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Avibar. Thank you for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me on, Mike.
0: So today we're going to be talking about sleep apnea, but as you told me, you work with many other sleep conditions as well. So to begin, would you mind giving us a little bit of your backstory?
1: well yeah thank you first of all i'm a sleep and pulmonary physician and uh, i'm a founder and a practicing physician within our virtual sleep practice it's spelled sl triple ip but pronounced sleep and we see patients in um, several states we are present in about 10 states and growing right now uh, we see patients right from the initial consultation to follow-up visits we arrange for the home sleep tests If they need an in-lab study, we will find them an accredited sleep lab that's closest to their homes. Uh, And if they need any sort of treatments, whether it's CPAP, whether it's oral appliance, uh, and I'll show you what an oral appliance kind of looks like, just so you have an idea. This is what's fitted by sleep-certified dentists um, to ensure that patients actually get their sleep apnea treated as well. So that's what an oral appliance looks like. We will also find a sleep-certified dentist closest to the patient's home whenever we need that, whenever they need that. And we follow them up to make sure that if that's solved, what are the sleep issues they may have, but to completion. And we have annual visits for patients as well. So we act as their virtual sleep practice.
0: Sure. Um, Do you guys work with insurances or how does that work?
1: Yes, we primarily, over 95% of our patients are through their medical insurance, whether it is commercial, Medicare, TRICARE. We don't currently accept Medicaid because of Medicaid's differing rules about how they view HSTs, whether they allow for it. Uh, and also their coverage for uh, telemedicine is kind of uh, finicky in different states. So we've just stayed away from that. But we do offer a what I would consider a pretty affordable cash price for patients who just want to pay out of pocket uh, for the consultation. And we'll do a digital sleep study as well. Anything to bring down the cost of care for them. Because we want to ensure that we don't just act as a, a sleep practice for people who have insurance, but also if you don't and you need care, we're willing to offer that.
0: And it looks like your website, if people are having trouble or not good with the uh, internet, there is a call us button right there in case you'd rather talk to someone as well. Exactly. So we're going to get in our first subject here, which is sleep apnea. So what is it and what causes it?
1: Good question. So sleep apnea, really, before even understanding sleep apnea, we have to understand what we always, what we consider the uh, the canary in the coal mine, which is the snoring that occurs. Uh, And when I say snoring, it doesn't have to be the prototypical loud freight train type snoring. It can be any sort of breathing sounds that we make. So what the actual snoring or breathing sounds basically tell us immediately is that there's a narrowing in our airway, because you notice you and I right now don't snore well while we're breathing. That's because our airway stays wide open. So air goes in and out silently. It's only when we drift off to sleep and everything, our muscles in our body relax, that's when the airway narrows and then the air having to squeeze through from here to get to about here. Your windpipe has cartilage, so it stays open. But from here to here, it's all soft tissue. And when air has to squeeze through such a narrowed passageway, it causes that vibration of tissue. So whether it is the heavy breathing or a snoring, it is all basically indicating that there's a narrowing in our airway. So that's what snoring represents or heavy breathing or any breathing sounds while while we're trying to take a deep breath. Think of sleep apnea as the worst form, not necessarily the loudest form, but the worst form of snoring where your airway is not only narrowed, but can also sometimes come to a near complete close. What this does to you is that instead of allowing you to get into this good, deep dream sleep and waking up all bright eyed and bushy tail, you kind of sometimes feel like your sleep may be broken up. And so even though you may get eight hours of sleep based on your in your watch, your clock, you actually never feel like you got that many hours of sleep. You don't wake up refreshed. It's like you charge your phone and you put your phone in the charger and you come back the next morning, it's half charged. That's how you feel. It's funny because most people, if they see that with their phone, the first thing they do is the next they're going to go to their Verizon store or whatever stores they go and just say, hey, I need to change my phone. I need to fix this. But as human beings, when it's come, it comes to our own body, we tend to adapt and we use caffeine or routines to kind of help us get up or we keep snoozing in. So when we don't feel we're waking up refreshed, We have to understand why. And so what happens is that when that airway of yours narrows, and this can happen multiple times an hour, when it narrows, the only thing that's going to restore muscle tone and open up that airway is the awakening of the brain. Because the deeper sleep your brain is in, the more relaxed your muscles are in your body. Same with your airway muscles. So here you are trying to get into deep sleep. It goes, "Uh uh-oh, Mike, get out of there. So it lightens your sleep up. And then again, you try to get into deep sleep. Your airway narrows, kicks you back up again. So this is what caused that fragmentation or the disruption of your sleep, not allowing you to get into the deep, refreshing, deep sleep or REM sleep. And that's why you wake up unrefreshed. So that's what snoring represents. That's what sleep apnea is and why it affects the way you feel or how you feel when you wake up or how you feel when you sleep. So that kind of covers that.
0: So you mentioned some of the symptoms in that explanation, but are there other symptoms of sleep apnea?
1: So sleep apnea disrupts your sleep. So that, that itself opens up a whole lot of symptoms. And again, how we perceive our sleep or symptoms is very much a, a personal experience. And, and our usage of words tends to be within our own limited experience. So when we have disruption in sleep, a lot of times we assume that to be insomnia, because insomnia covers, I can't sleep, I can't stay asleep, I wake up tired, but what's driving that insomnia? Is that insomnia, just a di- is that a diagnosis once you've ruled everything else out? Or is that just a symptom? And so not sleeping well or not waking up refreshed is the first sign of poor sleep or there's something wrong. Now, if you do have loud snoring or if someone has seen you kind of gasp for air or someone's seen you kind of feel like they, they, they hear you stop breathing like you snore, they hear you breathe and then there's a real quiet pause and then they kind of hear you breathe again those are kind of the more, or the prototypical, the more common symptoms that we associate with sleep apnea. But there's a lot of other symptoms that we find, whether how we perceive about sleep, like, you know, waking up a lot, waking up to use the restroom at night. That's also another sign of sleep apnea. Uh, So urinating at night frequently, because that goes against the body's natural mechanism to actually reduce urine output, so that you can actually sleep through the night uninterrupted. So if you're breaking through that and still waking up to use the restroom, a lot of patients go down that pathway of, you know, getting their prostate checked out or for women to see whether they have bladder issues because maybe pregnancy and there may be some stretching of the, the pelvic muscles and people assume that, but in actual fact, it could be driven by your sleep apnea. How you feel during the day, whether it's mood wise, whether you're feeling down and low energy, whether you feel more anxious, Whether you feel like you're you're always tired or fatigued, chronic pain is another one as well, because the interaction between pain and sleep, where sleep actually feeds into the pain, the poor sleep that you have causes your pain perception to change and for experienced patients to have more pain. So if you feel like you're fatigued or chronic pain issues, not sleeping well, if you have nocturia, where we talked about where you wake up to urinate at night, uh, obviously the prototypical symptoms that I described earlier, a lot of this can be signs and symptoms waking up with a headache uh waking up grinding as well the headache is it goes along with the fact that when you your sleep is also fragmented and your brain keeps getting disrupted the headache is really because your brain has been on standby mode for most of the night while you were asleep so while you thought you were asleep your brain has never really achieved that deep sleep so there's a lot of these symptoms that we and that's why it's so difficult for a lot of patients to understand that they may actually have sleep apnea not just insomnia because how it affects us is very much a, a unique experience for us, and it may not be the vocabulary that we're comfortable using. So if you go to your provider and you say, oh, I, I have difficulty sleeping, I have insomnia, there's a knee-jerk reaction to give you a sleeping pill. But have we missed out on a potential issue that we're not even not even addressing right now? You know, if you go to your provider and you say, oh, I'm feeling fatigued, they're going to check your B12 level, they're going to check a TSH level, uh, if you're male, they may check your testosterone level. If you say, I'm not feeling great, I'm not feeling manly, I can't seem to you know, have an erection. All of these things kind of take us down different sort of pathways. And we go down the wrong rabbit hole. It leads to a lot of blood work, a lot of testing, a lot of treatment. You might feel slightly better, but we always miss the mark on that. And if we don't address the sleep issues.
0: That's very fascinating. I never heard that if you wake up to go to the bathroom, you could have sleep apnea. Mm-hmm. Is that, is that pretty common?
1: It is actually, it is, uh, not everyone, again, you know, this, the same thing with like, uh, uh, side effects of medications, not everyone has it, uh, yeah. but a lot of people do, and they usually put it down to, oh, I'm getting older. This is what I expect because this is what my dad had. This is what my friend has. And so we expect that we expect to wake up tired or we expect to wake up unrefreshed because, Hey, I'm getting older. You know, this aches and pains are par for the cause or, you know, I'm going through menopause. And what's interesting with menopause is most women that go through menopause have the hot flashes and so on that may disrupt their sleep. But this kind of goes away and their sleep persistently is an issue. And what we find is that while men tend to uh, tend to come to our attention as in the, in the healthcare field, a lot earlier to complain about their sleep avenue issues because usually men are like peacocks. They, they're loud snorers. They get picked up easily. Uh, their spouses you know, force them to seek help. But we ignore a lot of women because firstly women don't snore as loudly some of them don't hardly ever snore they just might have some heavy breathing they use the the partners may describe it as puffing or huffing in their sleep and so not prototypical signs of sleep apnea And then on top of it, we find women present a little bit later in life because once they go through menopause and they lose that estrogen and estrogen protects the strength of their muscles, not only the big muscles, but also airway muscles. So a lot of women tend to have a spike in their sleep apnea. Actually, their risk goes up nearly three times through menopause and they continue to have sleep issues. And then they get put on antidepressants because they have low mood. They get put on anti-anxiety medications because of the sleep disruption causes a lot of anxiety-building stresses. Because every time that I talked about when your brain is awoken because of the narrowing in your airway, it's not a gentle nudge. It's not like, hey, Mike, wake up, please. It's a jolt because you were essentially suffocating. And so the body or the brain sends down what we call the sympathetic drive or the stress response. And imagine that getting flushed in your system multiple times an hour throughout the night while you're asleep. And that, you know, you should have your system stimulated during the day and then decompressing at night. But with sleep apnea, you have your stress levels high up and uh, throughout the day and night. So you don't get a time to decompress and your body's now tired and fatigued. But at the same time, you're, you're pumped up with all these stress hormones and stress responses that a lot of people have this sort of balance between, oh, I'm feeling anxious, but I'm also feeling depressed. Uh, and I find you know what I call this co- common medical baggage. I'll see patients with thyroid, thyroid issues. I'll see patients in, a, in a depression issues. I'll see patients with anxiety issues you know, I'll see men on testosterone shots when they come in and they, 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 you know, they put in their their medication list. And immediately, I already have a sneaky feeling that they have sleep apnea as an issue. Because the question really that comes in my head is, why is Mike the unluckiest person in the world? Why is he suddenly have all these issues? Um, and why what what's going on? I mean, don't get me wrong, some people do get issues, and they get multiple medical problems. But if we see, you know, a lot of, a common thing that a lot of patients mention, especially women, especially when they go through menopause is like, I feel like my body's breaking down. I feel like everything is going wrong. And actually that is driven by their sleep issues because everyone is addressing some of their symptoms. I feel fatigued. Okay, do this. Go check the cardiologist. Oh, I'm feeling this way. Go, go down, you know, go get that blood work done. Go get this shot, try this supplement. But no one really stops and asks. Are you sleeping well? Are you waking up refreshed? Because a lot of providers nowadays are not well trained in understanding understanding sleep or addressing sleep. And there's not as many sleep physicians around as well. The US produces about 150 sleep doctors a year. And if you look at the obesity rates and you look at, at sleep apnea rates, you look at insomnia and so on, it's such a large number of patients out there that don't get enough care. So the providers who, their primary care doctors may be left to deal with that. And unfortunately they have a limited number of, Time, a limited amount of time to kind of discuss the issues and kind of work through it, and let alone as well understand how to address it.
0: Sure, just so a common phrase I always hear, my mother always said was, "I'm a light sleeper." That is that, <laughs> is that I, I I quote, I kind of say that too because I do wake up frequently, but I fall back asleep. Is that like a sign of sleep apnea too, or is that something? Different? Well, it,
1: so. The light sleeper is another thing, it's a red flag, immediately I hear that, I've got a smirk in my head and I know what's going on because we have to understand if you don't sleep or don't sleep well, the question is why? It's just like, oh, I I don't feel thirsty or I don't feel hunger, I don't have a sex drive. These are all very natural urges that we have, very natural systems that are in place to protect us and, and our health. And if they're not working well, we need to figure out why. So when you say you're a light sleeper and I have, and you know, the thing is this, we always come up with stories to justify how we feel, or we mm-hmm. come up with explanations so that we can say, Oh, that's why it is. And I have a lot of patients say they're light sleeper and women will say this. And I've heard this so many times where I'm a light sleeper, but I developed it after childbirth because, you know, I had to keep waking up a lot for my child and I had kids growing up and they were sickly. So I've kept up that habit in actual fact. You know, they may have gained some weight after childbirth and the sleep apnea really came to the fore and they never lost that weight. That could be one explanation. But going back to your point, the light sleeper is kind of what I talked about. You should be getting to the deep valley of sleep. You should go through that REM cycle, which happens every hour and a half where you go through light sleep, deep sleep, REM sleep. And that should repeat. But if you stay in the light areas and you always feel like you can hear things or you get woken easily, or you get startled easily, any sort of sound, you're such a sensitive sleeper. We need to find out why aren't you getting to the deep sleep? What's stopping you? Now, could that be a medication issue? You may be on another medication, you may be disrupting your sleep. Could it be another underlying issue? Like, do you, are, you, are you depressed? And maybe that's causing you some issues. But in actual fact, a lot of times it's a sleep issue and we're not addressing it because a lot of people don't know how to address it.
0: Sure. Yeah, I I guess mine doesn't bother me because I don't feel like I need more sleep when I wake up. I feel fine. I don't know. I've just, so, I just thought it was just the way I am.
1: Interesting thing as well, because you see, the thing with sleep is that unlike um, when you get short of breath or unlike pain, unlike anything that, that affects us immediately, we know what it was like yesterday. And now we're like, man, that's a big difference. I, I, you know, I need to seek help, but sleep is something that creeps up on us over months to years. You don't just develop sleep apnea overnight. It takes months or years to start building and then becoming more and more apparent. Now, when you're younger, just like I explained to patients, you know, I, I, maybe it's probably not the best thing for, for a doctor to say this, but when you're when you're younger and you drink maybe a few extra drink or alcoholic drinks, you can kind of brush off the hangover the next day pretty quickly. Um, but as you get older, man, that kicks you in the B-U-T-T. And, and, you know, the whole thing with sleep as well, you can sustain poor sleep initially, but as you get older, that's going to catch up on you. And you're going to start feeling like your, your body's breaking down as well. And the thing that I talked about, that that time lag, is that our expectation of sleep, because it happens so gradually, also changes our expectation of what we should feel like when we get up. I'll give you an experience recently that really, I, I think, uh, was, was insightful for me. I was recently diagnosed with sleep apnea. Um and it came about because my wife mentioned that I, I, I snort sometimes and so on. And I and I really was looking back because I, I do this every day. And I was like, all right, am I feeling the same way? And I noticed that I haven't been. I used to, about a year ago, I used to jump out of bed and ready to go. I could work out and this. But I've been making excuses. I've been snoozing in a little bit more. And I've been blaming it on work stress. But in actual fact, it was my sleep apnea. Uh, and, and it's only because I'm so attuned to kind of being is this sleep apnea? Am I feeling, am I the same person that I was six months ago when I wake up and I could tell the difference? So I started therapy and it's much, much, much better now. Um, So yeah, that kind of gives you an idea. Sometimes our expectations of what we should feel like really, that's what delays seeking care as well.
0: Sure. So you talked a little bit about snoring before, but you have to snore to have sleep apnea.
1: No, not really at all. Uh, another funny story, and this is more of an embarrassing story. Uh, I've been married to the same mm-hmm. woman for eleven years. She's a physician. Um, she does not snore, and I failed to diagnose her with sleep apnea and because she does not snore. And again, am I am I listening to her at all hours of the night? No, I'm not. So whenever you ask your spouse or your partner, bed partner, do you do I snore? It's like, do I snore the first few minutes when you're listening to me in the last few minutes before I wake up? And that's the only time we actually listen to you. So are we actually hearing them breathe throughout the night? The answer is no, because our muscles in our body, the muscles in our airway get more and more relaxed as the deeper sleep you're in, which tends to happen later on in night. at night. You're, you get more REM sleep as the further in the night you, it goes into. And so we tend to either, like I said, women tend to heavy breathe. They puff. Uh, men may snore sometimes hardly. You know, I get this, I only snore when I'm really tired. Yeah, but that's because you probably were snoring and really slightly, but when you're really tired, there's, you kind of go through different sleep cycles a little bit, and that changes which sort of stages you're in, and that may cause you to snore a little earlier in the night, and that's when your partner may pick up on that and say, oh yeah, you only snore when you're tired, so that shouldn't be a problem. Actually, that's not the case because the snoring already or any breathing sounds already indicates that there's a narrowing in the airway. And if you're feeling you're not sleeping well, whether it's falling asleep, staying asleep or even waking up under fresh, then you might have a sleep issue and need evaluation.
0: So this is a little off subject, but if people I know when they drink, they snore, (laughs) is that because they're getting into a deeper sleep or?
1: So there's various reasons why Uh, it's a different kind of sleep that they go into, but there's also a lot of fluid buildup in their system because the excess fluid that they take in. So sometimes our soft tissue, our airway uh, gets a little bit more engorged and more likely to be collapsible. Uh, So there's various reasons why alcohol may make us snore, but we do make sure, you know, a lot of times patients will have their sleep apnea issues predominantly where they drink. And they don't have as much issues when they don't drink. And that's because the sleep apnea does worsen with alcohol because of how it relaxes your muscles and so on and how it kind of uh, may engorge your airways as well to kind of be a lot more narrow. So there's various reasons why. So, you know, we will usually, if a patient is a, you know, two glass of wine drinker at night, when we do the sleep test, we'll tell the patient, you do what you normally do. If you have one or two glasses of wine, we want to see that normal state because we don't want to test you in an artificial state that you don't normally live in. And I'm not trying to pr- pr- propose that you drink every night, but if that's what you do and that's part of your usual routine, I want to make sure we see that because otherwise we may miss the diagnosis.
0: Sure. Ah, interesting. Makes sense. So we're going to get into how sleep apnea is diagnosed and what are the different types?
1: Okay. Uh, so I'll start off with the types. The, type, the two types of sleep apnea, one is called obstructive and the other one's central. Obstructive sleep apnea is by far the most common, uh, and it is the one that I talked about where the airway narrows, and that's what kind of stops your breathing from occurring, so you don't actually get to move air in and out. But central sleep apnea is when your airway seems to be somewhat open, but your brain doesn't trigger the breath as effectively as it should. And there's various reasons for this. You could be on heavy sedating medications like opioids and uh, heavy benzodiazepines like lorazepam and and so on. These medications really then may reduce your respiratory drive, causing your brain to kind of be sluggish and not prompt the next breath to occur. Uh, Then there's also health issues that may cause that. You may have a stroke in certain parts of the brain that may not trigger the breath as well. So that's when central apnea is maybe more prominent. Apart from medications and strokes, you can also get it if you have heart failure. In very bad heart failure, because of how the blood circulates and the oxygen levels and the carbon dioxide levels doesn't give feedback as quickly because of sluggish blood flow, the brain doesn't get feedback about the control of the oxygen and carbon dioxide. So it tends to overshoot or undershoot. And that causes us to kind of stop our breathing and then have huffing and puffing and then stop our breathing again. So that central apneas can exist as well in patients with that. But just having central apneas in your sleep study results doesn't mean you have central sleep apnea. We all have some component of central events that may occur. We have that a lot more when we're younger as kids. But as you get older, you may still have a small number, but that's that's by far not the most common reason. So for you to have central sleep apneas, you need to have most of your events, over 50% of them being central. And the treatment options available at that point are very different. Uh, the testing for central sleep apnea, you asked about testing will likely have to take place in a sleep lab itself to make sure that they're capturing uh, everything that's going on and making sure they can tell the difference between obstructive and central because home sleep tests, which are generally done for a lot of our, our obstructive sleep apnea patients, now the newer sleep home sleep tests do a very good job of picking up between central and, and obstructive. However, the older type devices weren't as good at picking up the difference. So the home sleep test comes in various forms. We do two different kinds of sleep tests. One is actually a ring-based test that actually just sits on your ring finger, um, and it, uh, it just records, uh, it, it syncs with an app that you download. And what it's meant to do is actually recording the characteristics of your blood vessels, which are connected to your heart. And so your heart responds in different ways based on breathing events that occur because of how you breathe and how your chest wall interacts with your heart and so on. There's sort of these characteristic signals that occur when you're not breathing well. So that's how that device figures out, even without having any sort of things on your face with that ring, it's able to actually monitor and tell you whether you have sleep apnea. So that's one type of device that we use. And then there's a second type of device that we frequently use. That's also the common workhorse among a lot of other sleep practices. It's what we call a device that has three senses, one is, looks like an oxygen delivery device that's measuring, but it's actually measuring your airflow. So it's not delivering oxygen, but it kind of looks like it. The second sensor is a, it's a pulse oximeter, and it measures your heart rate and your oxygen levels. And the third is a chest wall belt that goes around your chest wall to measure your respiratory effort. So it's trying to figure out is, if you're trying to take a breath, does it see a drop in your airflow here, which means that you're not moving air, and at the same time, it also sees an oxygen level drop. Um, so that's how it picks up on sleep, obstructive sleep apnea, sleep apnea in general. So those are the two gen, uh, type type of devices that are home sleep tests that are uh, very common and frequently used as well.
0: So do those work for the central type sleep apnea too? Then
1: you can, yes, exactly. So when we see patients with a predominant central apnea on the home sleep test, we will then, following that, send them depending on how how compelling their case is, because if I see s- like nearly 50% of cases and this patient has no risk factors, nothing clear as day, I'm going to assume that the machine was probably meaning obstructive apneas and not central apneas and misdiagnose that and treat them as an obstructive apnea because that's the most common. Because otherwise, if you go down the pathway of assuming that this is central, then you send then you have to send them for an in-lab study, which some, for some patients can cost anywhere between $700 to $1,000 out of pocket if they haven't met their deductible yet. We're always concerned about making sure we take care of the patients and we want to make sure that we don't kind of put them through any financial difficulty Uh, because we don't have a financial interest in getting them to the sleep lab. We're just wanting to do it for clinical reasons. We don't own sleep labs. We don't have contracts to read sleep studies at sleep labs. So whenever we refer a patient, we also have to take into account whether the patient would want to go through it and what benefit it is for us as well. How is it going to affect our treatment? So if they don't have that many centrals, but we're going to assume that they have an obstructive events and mainly, maybe some of them misdiagnosed the centrals. Uh, But if they come back and there's a lot of central events and they have all the risk factors for central sleep apnea, like either they've had a history of stroke or they take heavy medications, sedating medications and so on. That's when we will prompt them to go to sleep lab because they may need a different type of CPAP machine or a breathing machine, or they may not even need one. They may need a different, they may just need oxygen, for example. Um, if if that's what they truly have.
0: I wish I would have talked to you before my girlfriend got a sleep apnea test recently because <laughs> her bill was way more expensive than what you mentioned. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it's it's sometimes crazy because, and again, this is not to speak ill of, of other sleep physicians, but just to kind of be aware of the conflict of interest, when you're a sleep physician in a, in a, in a local area uh, and that are two or three sleep labs, you probably read at all sleep labs, What you're probably going to do is try to get your patient in one of the sleep labs because there is a a, a sort of a dirty secret that you actually get paid three times more to read the same sleep study from a sleep lab or a similar study. And don't get me wrong. The in-lab study has a lot more data. It does take longer to review. It does cost more to the patient, but the physician as well gets paid more. So there's usually a conflict of interest there. Uh, and, uh, and we try to, we try to stay away from that by managing a lot of this is home sleep tests and then we send them to a sleep lab but only when we're clinically needed. But yeah, there is a lot of conflict of interest in healthcare as well uh, that, that doesn't allow for, for appropriate
0: patient care, whether it's financial or clinical. Right? Oh, well, too late now for her. <laughs> uh, so our next question are what are the risks of untreated sleep apnea and how can you actually treat it?
1: So the risk for untreated sleep apnea is we're, we're understanding more about the effect of this in the last 10 years, uh, right from, let's talk about mental health, uh, right from anxiety, depression, bipolar disease. Uh, overall, we speak, there, there is the evidence now that we have a bidirectional model, meaning that sleep feeds into poor mental health and poor mental health feeds into sleep. So, you know, previously we was trying to figure out, why don't we treat the, the depression first, because that should help the sleep, or let's treat the sleep first. But in actual fact, you should try to address both at the same time, uh, because we know that there's a worsening in sleep, in, in, in depression, anxiety, and all mental health issues, if we don't address the sleep issue. So one thing is worsening, or even, and I would talk about mental health, I'm also including uh, attention deficit disorders and so on. Uh, and, you know, mental health is one that definitely deteriorates when we're not getting good sleep. Number two is heart disease as well. Things like um, uh, what we call atrial fibrillation or heart rhythm issues, that gets triggered or uh, re-triggered if we don't treat our sleep apnea. Uh, It can cause you to have pulmonary hypertension, which is pressure within the heart that's due to breathing issues as well. And pulmonary hypertension can be triggered by sleep apnea atrial fibrillation can you can also get angina or chest pain what they call atypical chest pain so you wake up with chest discomfort or chest soreness, but a lot of it is stemming from the fact that your body was trying to breathe and your muscles were working hard the night before but sometimes you can't tell the difference and if you're slightly overweight or you have diabetes or high blood pressure and you have chest pain the the physician has to take you seriously because you could actually be having a cardiac event well, if the workup usually ends up being negative, it's because you have sleep apnea, something that triggered that uh, that chest pain or atypical angina. Um, some people have reflux. So reflux is another thing that frequently occurs in combination with sleep apnea uh, because the, the narrowing of the airway, you know, there's something called the Bernoulli effect. So when you suck on a straw, you'll notice that the middle portion of it collapses. That's because of the drop in the air pressure here causes that narrowing. So same thing, when you're trying to suck air through a straw, which is a narrow passageway from here to here, it creates a negative pressure at the back of your throat, which then drags up your gastric juices and causes reflux. Plus you're laying flatter than you would be during the day. So now not only is the stomach in a a closer plane to your throat, but now you also have this negative pressure generated at the back of your throat that draws up reflux. So you have, you have mental health, you have cardiac issues. You then have issues related to, to reflux. You can also get worsening of your asthma and your sinus issues, uh, any breathing issues as well, because we find that when, when patients have breathing issues, they, do sleep, they have breathing issues and then they have sleep apnea, the repeated collapsibility of the airway throughout the night, whether it's here, here, or even lower down your lung causes an inflammatory reaction. The body's stressed, it's inflamed, it gets more engorged with inflammatory markers. That's what causes a lot of sinus issues, congestion, post-nasal drip. And we find that once we treat these patients and the airway stays open, that it's not constantly collapsing, and it collapses because of the Bernoulli effect as well. You're trying to get air sucked in, the negative pressure is what narrows that airway down even further. And that's repeatedly going on and that's what causes inflammation. So we find that patients treated, they also have an improvement in the asthma symptoms and their sinus symptoms as well. Headaches as well improve. So you can get worsening headaches. You can wake up with headaches. I've had patients, you talk about your girlfriend paying so much out of pocket But we have patients who are taken down a rabbit hole of of Botox injections, MRIs of the brain, and this and this supplement, that that injectable that causes thousands of dollars for headaches. Did anyone ask them, how are you sleeping? No, because none of them are trained in sleep. And when they got trained, sleep wasn't a prominent uh, uh, field within medicine. So frequently, these patients with headaches as well end up going down uh, the wrong rabbit hole. Uh, so that's just kind of giving you a flavor of just some of the issues that patients do have uh, and what can happen as a health consequence of sleep apnea.
0: So what are the treatment options for sleep apnea then?
1: So treatment options, thankfully, now are a lot more than what they were. Now, I'll talk about the, the scariest one, which is what everyone seems to, to hate. <laughs> uh, it's a CPAP device. And I'll show you what a CPAP mask nowadays looks like. You see this? It, it's not a scary... It is not the sexiest device, I didn't say sexy, <laughs> uh, but it is It is not as big and hulking as we assume that a lot of us have this uh, in a Top Gun, uh, you know, Darth Vader lookalike uh, image, but the masks nowadays are a lot better, plus the machines nowadays, the CPAP are pretty much near silent, like you don't even hear it. Uh, So the machines are much more intuitive. They've got automatic algorithms that doesn't matter whether you're on your side or on your back, whether you're in deep REM sleep or whether you're in light sleep, the machine pressure goes up and down based on the algorithm. So an automatic CPAP is what we frequently use, and that's what uh, commonly is used to treat sleep apnea. Now, the next thing is the oral device that I showed you earlier, which is basically trying to keep your lower jaw tethered to your upper jaw. So it's meant, if you notice, when you fall asleep at night, you may slack off your lower jaw, drag your tongue backwards, and narrow your airway further. So the oral device is meant to keep your lower jaw forward. So that's what this device does. Now, different manufacturers have different mechanisms. Some of them have like a screw-like mechanism here, but this one uses a blue band, but it depends on your sleep dentist, what's he best well-trained in and what's he's comfortable with as well. Uh, But the idea is is you wear this at night when you go to sleep, Now, the oral device works really well if you have mild to moderate sleep apnea. Uh, In the severe range, your CPAP is probably your best friend because that's what is validated. But we frequently make exceptions when patients have gone down the road of CPAP, hasn't really tolerated it. We've worked with them. We've tried different masks, different pressure settings, and we're like, all right, let's go down. And even though the oral appliance in severe sleep apnea may not work as well, we don't want perfect to be the enemy of good. And so we want to make sure we treat most of the symptoms if at all possible, especially if someone says that they're willing to use the oral appliance every night and they, can't, they don't want to use a CPAP more than 50% of the night, what are you trying to do? Just trying to force a round peg into a square hole? And that's not our goal. Our goal is to make sure patients are sleeping better. So we'll figure out a plan for them based on their needs. So the CPAP is one. We have the oral appliance as a second option. The third one is going to be something that, that is much harder to achieve, which is weight loss. Now, weight loss does treat a lot of sleep apnea, but a lot of us genetically also have a propensity to have a narrowed airway and develop sleep apnea at some point so that we don't have the weight to lose. But for those that have the weight to lose, it does have a significant impact on improving your sleep apnea and potentially curing it. So you can achieve that either through bariatric surgery, you can achieve that either to through your own efforts as well. Uh, the only problem with your own efforts is very few people succeed because when you have weight and then you have sleep apnea on top of it it's very hard to get down to your weight issues if you're waking up tired your body's stressed you're exhausted you're just trying to survive the day to get from point a to point b and get into bed again and then you know it's like groundhog's day you wake up tired again and the way i describe it to patients is you know working out and living a healthy life is an active decision that you have to make constantly because we're getting barraged with everything that's sugar this quick fix this you know, deliver this, we'll get it, you know, you can eat this and so on. And supermarket aisles are all filled with uh, with a lot of processed sugar and so on. So we have to actively make decisions throughout the day about what we want to put in our mouth because there's no there's no out-exercising a bad diet. But when you wake up tired and exhausted, it's like starting, you know, it's like the 100-meter dash you start off with every day. And everyone is running out of the blocks all excited when you're not sleeping well, it's like starting 10 meters behind everyone else. You're just going, hey, everyone just carry on. Mike has got his own pace. Mm-hmm. Mike will catch up. Just chill. I've got my own thing going on. So when you wake up tired and exhausted, the body does two things to you. One is it doesn't want to exert energy. It doesn't want to burn calories. It's exhausted. It's stressed. Number two, the body also craves more calories. So it's constantly messaging you to say, eat something, put something in your mouth and so on. And that's what causes issues. Um, And so that's why weight loss, while easy to say, it's harder to do, and frequently we have sleep apnea in the mix, it causes a slowness and actually stops you from losing more weight. A lot of now weight loss clinics and even bariatric practices are now having patients screen for sleep apnea because they know the effect sleep has on their weight loss journey as well.
0: Yeah, and this can happen in different realms because there's People that gain weight for reasons like I know uh, pretty much every one of the top 10 strong men in the world competing, even though they're strong, they're so big. Almost all of them use CPAP machines just because of that extra weight on them.
1: Yeah. NFL players as well because of all their muscle mass and so on. It doesn't allow for much. I mean, sometimes I look at, uh, you know, I do this. so I walk around in the crowd and I see people. I'm like, (laughs) oh, sleep apnea, sleep apnea. (laughs) I was like i just i, I want to just tell them please go get help you don't have to see me just get help there is help out there for you um but there are the treatment options as well so weight loss is one now one thing i want to caution against is surgery for quick fix nasal passages deviated septums large tonsils now with while they may work for kids removing your tonsils for adults there's been a lot of these sort of therapies laser therapy remove excess tissue but that kind of dumbs down the dynamic and complex airway that we have, you know, we have, we have airways here. Now, if, if, let me just put it this in, you know, a lot of patients that might have nasal surgery, they've had, Oh, my, my ENT guy said it was deviated. I did this, did that. It felt better. Oh, but you know, I still snore. So yeah. You know, if this was the only fix that you needed for sleep apnea, then guess what the body would do? Open your mouth, bypass the nose and you you cure your sleep apnea. But it doesn't happen that way because our airway is a lot more dynamic and complex. So it's it's longer and it stretches all the way down here. Just trying to fix this or fix this or fix this doesn't solve the issue. It may put a band-aid on it. You may feel better. You may snore less for a few months or a few years. But sleep apnea will come back because the idea that you can cut and chop and change and so on, and, and that's how you'll, you'll deal with the body is a, a little... Short-sighted, um, and and I don't think it really gives patients the idea because a lot of patients come back to us going, well, you know, I, I did well for a few years, and then and I was like, yeah, I know, because the data as well supports the fact that there's very little surgical intervention that can help with with uh, with issues. Now, with children, is different. There's a lot more evidence for tonsillectomies, but even we find now that these patients should be followed up because a lot of them continue to have sleep apnea, though their symptoms may not be as dramatic, and then they end up having uh, behavioral issues. Uh, learning issues and so on. And then they get put on ADD medications and they get put on this and that. And then you're just kind of playing whack-a-mole, but you're not addressing the fact that they're not sleeping well. And no one asks them, are they sleeping well? You know, I think a lot of people don't want to go down or open that Pandora's box because they feel ill-equipped to handle how, you know, what questions may come their way or how to handle it. Um, So weight loss is definitely there. Surgery is definitely something that I would caution against. Now, if you have concurrent issues, like if you are at the same time having a lot of sinus congestion, there's an actual indication point, you know, ear infections, if if you can't swallow properly, ENT surgery, and at the same time, could it help your sleep apnea? Maybe. Then definitely go for that. But surgery for sleep apnea solely is, you know, you're going down the wrong hole on that one. You probably uh, come back to square one in a few years. Uh, and the last option as well for treatment is, is a new device that well, I say new, but it's been around for close to 10 years now. Uh, it is an implantable device, a hypoglossal nerve stimulator. Basically, what it does is it's kind of like a pacemaker that keeps track of each breath you take. So then it then triggers, it's got a little lead that actually triggers the, uh, the stimulation of, of your tongue nerve. So it keeps your tongue contracted and forward. And so that keeps your airway open and that's used in patients with moderate to severe sleep apnea now granted a lot of patients are jumping on that because they're like oh my god i don't want to deal with a cpap many of them tried cpap 10 years ago it's a different beast now it's like saying what an iphone looked like 10 years ago <clears> compared to now um so a lot of them were put on the wrong masks they were initially start off with a full face mask but now we know the full face mask is actually poorly tolerated you know i get this statement and it kind of drives me crazy Oh, I was told I needed a, a full face mask, which is the one that covers your nose and your mouth. Uh, is because I'm a mouth breather. Well, I, I, I'm very rarely have I ever come across someone that is a sleep apnea patient that hasn't opened their mouth to breathe. Just because when you're not you're not getting enough air through here, your body is going to say, you know what, I don't need humidified air. Just give me any air because I'm struggling for breath. And you open your mouth. That's why you frequently wake may wake up with a dry throat as well because you're not going through the hum- natural humidification your nasal passages provide you. So, you know, in terms of opening your mouth, you generally do that already. A lot of patients actually adapt back to sleeping with their mouth closed. Once they have a nasal mask on, they tolerate it a lot better. So before jumping to the Inspire device, I we always urge patients, give us a chance first. Before you want to cut open your body and put something in there and do all that stuff, w- let's follow the guidelines. Let's really do what's right by you your experience 10 years ago may not reflect what your experience is now. But we do have patients who who truly have gone through and need that device and we've referred patients for them. We will continue to refer patients for them because that option is life-saving for so many of them that for whatever reason, the machine algorithm just doesn't work well for them or the mask fit just doesn't work no matter how many different masks they find. So that's where the hypoglossal nerve stimulator that's implantable like a pacemaker actually makes a lot of sense.
0: That. Yeah, I think I'd rather have a CPAP machine and something put inside me. Because how long do those last?
1: Until the batteries run out, then they can change that out. But again, that takes into account that it, it works forever and it doesn't. And, and, you know, leads leads may break. The leads that they implant may break and so on. So you might need redos. It's, yeah. it's a fairly new technology. So we don't really know the long-term effects of it. But again, I think, you know, I don't want to be someone that is afraid of 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 advancement, because hey, we run a virtual practice, so we have to embrace <laughs> everything that's new. Even though it makes me feel uncomfortable to have to put something implantable in you, but we will get to that in a stepwise manner because I would want to treat you the way I would treat a family member of mine, because otherwise I can't sleep at night. If I've done something that I've taken cut corners and I've just listened to you because consumer is king, I'm doing you a grave injustice. So I'm always honest with patients and our practice is know that's what we like about what we do because we can be honest with patients explain with them these steps and and we're not we're not trying to just sell them on the fact that they have to go on a cpap because we want to make sure they understand their options once they understand the options the pros and cons you make an educated decision you have what we call a joint decision that, that the physician and you or your provider and you make i think that allows a better partnership rather than saying yeah cpap good luck godspeed i'll see you in three months
0: sure so can we discuss CPAP a little more? Can you explain how that therapy works and then if there's any side effects of using those? So,
1: yeah. So what is CPAP? I, I, I jokingly call it a, a fancy reverse vacuum cleaner. Uh, what it's doing is basically detecting whenever your airway narrows. So that's got an, it's got an algorithm there, but it's also got a sensor that whenever the airway narrows and that increases resistance, it then pushes more pressure. in, so this is this is related to the automatic CPAPs that have this special algorithm. And so whenever the airway is narrowing, it notices that there's more resistance, and then it keeps pushing up that air pressure until it doesn't detect any more resistance. And then it keeps it at that pressure. And if it over distends, it also knows to drop the pressure. And so that's what it basically is trying to do, is trying to keep your airway open so it allows your brain to completely decompress and sleep and not have to keep being awoken just to keep your airway open. So that's how, breaking it down, that's how a CPAP works.
0: So if someone gets a CPAP machine, how long does it take till they notice better quality sleep?
1: Uh, Depending on some patients, it takes a few days. Some patients, it takes a few weeks. The goal is is to make sure that they're actually using it well. And when I say well, uh, I mean by using it every night, using it six to seven hours a night. Uh, throughout that time that they are sleep, so a lot of times patients take about two or three weeks of of nightly use when they first get started to really get the hang of it, to get comfortable with it, and to start figuring out the mask fit and how they're going to sleep in bed and so on. The usual kind of acclimatization period, like, like I said, takes two or three weeks. But the only thing that gets gets them through it is nightly use. If you break it up and every few nights, whenever you feel like it. You're not, not going to really condense your learning, and then patients be a little slow in terms of getting the full effect of it. Some of them give up because they're like, oh man, it's been two, three weeks and I haven't felt anything. But they're barely using it for four hours. The mask doesn't fit right. No one has talked to them about the humidity level yet. No one's trying to adjust this or work them through it. So, part of what we do as well is when patients come to us, we actually hire a dedicated sleep coach that will be uh, that person that that they can text or call and say hey i'm having an issue with this can you work me through this and so on so that 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 person is kind of their buddy in terms of trying to make sure that there's there's any troubleshooting issues that are worked out but that helps them kind of get to that two or three weeks of nightly use get the benefit of it because i tell patients that this that's the tipping point that occurs right when you use it just long enough at night that you feel better the next day and then once that happens everything starts clicking because you're like, man, this is great.
0: So of the three devices you mentioned, which one is the most common? CPAPs by far. Okay. I'm CPAPs by far. Been around the longest? Um, Yeah,
1: by far, by far.
0: Okay. So what are some other lifestyle changes and home remedies people can try to do to help with sleep apnea?
1: So you know, with sleep apnea, weight loss is is um, weight loss is really the 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 best thing to do if you can do it. Like I said, a lot of patients struggle with weight loss because of this issue with with how sleep apnea affects them. But definitely, if you, if you want to kind of hunker down, and what I would suggest is this: you know, you have to have an honest discussion with yourself. The idea is, you know, we talk about New Year's resolutions, weight loss. And I tell patients this as well, especially my patients with mild sleep apnea. And, and I want to clarify when when you have the categorization of mild, moderate, severe, it doesn't mean moderate and severe need treatment, and mild doesn't. I think a lot of patients that have come back to us after many years of seeing other doctors and so on is that, well, you know, they told me it was mild, I could lose some weight. But mild and how it affects your health can be very, it doesn't correlate. The mild, moderate, and severe helps us decide on the treatment modalities available. But for you, for you having mild, you might actually have a large number of symptoms. While I have patients on the other side where they have severe sleep apnea and their symptoms are minimal. And the only reason they're there is because their spouses force them at gunpoint because they're loud snoring. <laughs> so the mild motor severe doesn't. But if you have on the mild side, yes, if you lose weight, you can. But be honest with yourself, set goals, set deadlines. Because you don't want your life to be a rec- recurring video reel or the same thing over and over again and your sleep apnea worsening. You accruing all these other health issues because you never got the primary issue resolved. And so if you want to do weight loss, I would say, set a target weight and a target date, share it with someone that you care about, because once you make that open, you don't want to disappoint them, let alone disappoint yourself. So if you want to uh, uh, do weight loss as the first option on your own, set goals. And then at that point, if it doesn't improve or you don't lose a significant weight, amount of weight, or your sleep hasn't improved, then seek help. Another thing you can do short term is obviously avoid alcohol like we talked about how that worsens it speak to your sleep uh, your your primary care doctor or your primary care provider and ask them about the medication that you're taking are they some of them are heavy sedating medications could they worsen your sleep in certain ways as well because if you use it for pain it might also worsen your sleep apnea so are there things that you can slow down or stop doing uh you know if you if you drink a lot of caffeine during the day because you're tired and then that carries over to the night and not being able to fall asleep and cut down your caffeine intake another one that works and it tends to work really well is elevating your head a bit now when you elevate your head a bit i don't mean just putting three or four pillows under your neck i'm talking about you know kind of elevating your torso so your neck and your upper back as well by the elevation because of gravity you don't actually collapse your airway as much so some people snoring get better when they sleep a little bit more elevated uh, if you sleep on your sides and elevate it, that's even better than just sleeping on your back and elevated. So those are short-term remedies that can help because telling patients don't sleep on your back never works. I don't know when I'm sleeping on my back. Do you? Some people wake up and they feel the, the difficulty breathing, but I, I don't know where, what position I'm sleeping in. So I can't tell patients, hey, lay on your sides because that hasn't really worked. There's all these home remedies about, you know, putting a tennis ball in a little bit of a... <laughs> you know, wrapping it up in cloth and attaching it to the back here so that whenever you lay on your back, it's uncomfortable as you lay on your side. It's never really panned out. There's been all these sort of gadgets to use as well that don't really work well. Uh, so I think if you're struggling with that and you think you might have sleep apnea, haven't been able to lose weight, or you feel like, man, I, I feel like my blood pressure isn't improving. I've got this AFib issue. All my depressions worsening. Or I feel low and I don't feel excited. I've got erectile dysfunction. These are all su- reasons to say, you know what, enough of, of me trying to do this at home. I need to seek care.
0: So I'm presuming smoking cigarettes would be a cause of sleep apnea as well?
1: Not really. Oh. Not really. It does cause some inflammation in your airways that might trigger uh, uh, some narrowing, but uh, usually that affects your sleep in different ways, not necessarily affecting sleep apnea per se.
0: Sure. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, my last question is: Can mouth taping? But don't
1: don't don't smoke.
0: <laughs> I don't smoke, so that's I my just... PSA. <laughs> we do have a couple studio camera guys that smoke. We've been harassing them for years, but hasn't worked yet. Anyway, uh, my last question is: Can mouth taping help with sleep apnea?
1: So yes, it can, and and, and for patients with snoring or very mild sleep apnea. The idea of taping your mouth, actually, it's not so much that you force air through your nose. It's more that you keep your jaw forward. Because when you tape your mouth, you can't slack your jaw back and fall asleep. It keeps your jaw forward, which keeps your airway as open as possible. Now, how long does that last for in terms of treatment? I don't know. Maybe for if you have mild sleep apnea or you snore a little bit and so on, it's a vibration of your tongue that's causing at the back of that, the narrowing. It might help, but it's. An, it, I think it's. It's pretty much a short-term fix. It's literally a band-aid on a problem that you're not dealing with, um, and 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 it, it might be a short-term fix. It, you might want to use it only when you drink alcohol. If you drink alcohol <laughs> once or twice a week, and that's the only time you snore, maybe. Uh, but uh, it's not a long-term fix. It's already a clue that something's wrong, and it will progress. So if you do find that that helps you short-term, great, good for you. Uh, and it's usually due to the fact that your mouth is tape and shut and your jaws forward.
0: So I'm guessing the, if that worked, then the long-term solution could possibly be the mouth fixture you're talking about earlier.
1: Yeah. And again, it depends on the patient as well. Some people don't like the idea of anything in their mouth. Uh, uh, people that have a major dental work and false teeth and so on can't use the oral device. Uh, but yeah, so a lot. Oh, the other thing that I didn't mention is also talking about the oral device is grinding teeth, grinding, mm-hmm is frequently triggered by sleep apnea so if you grind your teeth it's likely due to that and don't just get a mouth guard that just sits there because it's gonna you'll you'll find that you chew through it because what's triggering the grinding is the apnea episode so whenever you're when you ever you're, i know i'm going off in tangent here but i just want to make sure that everyone listens to this when your airway narrows and i said your brain is awoken to kind of restore muscle tone it just doesn't have a, a simple one finger wand that goes open up this muscle It activates all your upper airway muscles which include your jaw muscles as well so it contracts forward so when you're slacking off your jaw slacking off your airway narrows and you have an apnea event menu you move your jaw forward and outwards which causes the opening of the airway so a lot of people's grinding is due to sleep apnea and the mouth guard can you can use cpap to treat that you can use the mouth guard as well to treat that the main thing is to treat the sleep apnea which is driving the apnea uh driving the grinding
0: sure so do you want to mention again your website where people can find you at sure yeah uh,
1: our website is s l so s for sam l for larry triple i indigo 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 p <laughs> with peter Uh, com. So sleep.com. It's pronounced sleep. That was the cheapest way for me to get the word sleep. Uh, And we are in about 10 states right now, New York, Connecticut, uh, Illinois, Kentucky, uh, South Carolina, Virginia, Georgia, Florida, Alabama, and Texas.
0: How many different uh, doctors are on your team? I see two on your site yeah two
1: and we're hiring a third and we'll probably have a fourth soon as well so uh we we're uh, because we're pretty booked up right now, so that's why you know a lot of uh, a lot of times our expansion as well is dependent on getting the right people in. we're very focused to make sure that we bring in the right right person because you want want all the doctors to kind of feel like they have an environment where they can thrive in do what's right by the patient uh and enjoy the work and so you know there's a lot of these sort of uh, overnight tech companies saying, oh we are in fifty states. Uh, but there's no culture of care in them and it's it's, uh, it's a big machinery. We're trying to make sure that we actually try to build a, a virtual practice that gives a shit. Excuse my language. <laughs> uh, and since this is this is something I founded, I, I get to choose and make sure that my patients actually come out of this feeling good and, and I get to sleep at night.
0: Sure. Well, thank you for joining us today. I hope we can do another one. We'll pick another sleeping subject next time.
1: Definitely. Definitely. And uh, hopefully uh, your listeners enjoy this and happy to come on again.